0: Hi, and welcome to the sixth episode of Breaching Extinction. This week, I had the privilege of interviewing film director Josh Murphy about his most recent film, Artificial, coming out later this month. He's an award-winning film director and producer, and has co-produced several films, including The Push, The River Why, and Here Alone. He co-founded Liars and Thieves Production Company, and works with a variety of commercial clients, including Patagonia, who he partnered with uh, for the film Artificial. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me.
1: So glad we could make it
0: happen. Yes. Um. So my name's Erica. Um. I have a podcast called Breaching Extinction. I just um, started working on it about a month ago, and I'm just kind of looking at all the different perspectives that are um, impacting the Southern residents. And I watched the trailer on your film. Unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to watch it while um, the film festival was here because I was working. Uh, but... I think that you definitely have a lot to contribute. So I would love to learn more about uh, maybe like what inspired your film and just like hear about your take on the whole salmon crisis.
1: Yeah, well, the inspiration from the film came really from uh, kind of deep in my background. My my childhood idol was Jacques Cousteau, and I wanted to be underwater like he was. And I went into science and fisheries biology specifically for for Graduate school and undergraduate school uh, degrees from the University of Vermont for my undergraduate in wildlife fisheries biology and uh, Humboldt State University for my graduate degree. And I worked on a fish farm uh, in Ireland. It was a land based trout farm. And I worked at a hatchery uh, at Humboldt State to pay for my graduate degree. And so those experiences kind of formed an opinion. Then I left that opinion, if you will, and, and went to film. And for Mm -hmm. years, made all sorts of different types of film and then had the opportunity to come back and revisit this when I was asked by Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia, to make this film. And it was really, for me, an opportunity to realize this vision I had as a kid, which was, you know, really, when you look at Jacques Cousteau, his legacy is a filmmaker. And I was like, I finally get to do the thing I wanted to do. And so it was a great opportunity to revisit the issue with kind of a new, very kind of clear-headed, wide-eyed approach. And I realized that what we're doing, both with fish farms and fish hatcheries, is we're unwilding salmon. And we've forgotten that these are kind of not only icons of wild, but they are, in fact, keystone species in environments that that, that require salmon to be present. And... When we began telling ourselves that we could fix the problem of declining salmon populations through use of fish hatcheries and then later with fish farms for for human consumption, I don't think we thought at the time that that was going to negatively impact the whole ecosystem. But in fact, it has in many cases. The genetic issues with breeding and releasing fish in the, under captive rearing, and then putting them back into the wild has real impacts on the genetic of whole populations of salmon. And what we're seeing now is that because we have this unending kind of greed, if you will, for salmon for consumption, we are trying to smash as many fish as we possibly can into these environments, which are having really negative impacts. So now in the North Pacific, between the United States, Canada, russia korea and japan we released five billion hatchery salmon into the the ocean last year jeez that's a, and that that, that is a ton that, of salmon it's a if it, there's more biomass of salmon going down the columbia river into the ocean than comes back for example like it used that's to be the oceans provided nutrients into terrestrial ecosystems as adults returned now we're pushing so many of these ill-equipped fish because they're just not really good at surviving. Just in a, We're just trying to you know, invade, if you will, <laughs> these environments with as many as possible, hoping that a few of them will make it through. And what's happening now is that, for example, in the, in the, the case of the southern resident killer whale, is the total population – sorry, the total size of individuals in populations is getting smaller. So because mm-hmm. there's so many more mouths to feed, if you will – we're mm-hmm. seeing the average size of salmon go down from 22 pounds a few decades ago to 8 to 10 pounds. And so as killer whales go to get their meal, they're chasing using the same amount of energy and capturing a fish that's much smaller on average. Wow. That has a that has an energetic kind of uh, debt that mm-hmm. has to be repaid and without big fish returning those whales that have a really kind of adapted to feed almost solely on large Chinook mm-hmm. are fail, failing to meet their requirements.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, That's uh, it definitely is a big issue up here. I live on orcas, obviously, and like so it's a big, hot topic. Um, and it, it seems like such an issue. It looks like the whales have been able to go elsewhere to find salmon, um, but I'm not sure how long we can really sustain that. Um, I'm curious as to kind of what um, you've seen as far as like, you know, obviously releasing the salmon out, that's going to change their behavior and they're not able to survive. Um, do you find that salmon are more like, you know, um, they have like innate kind of behavior or is it learned or a little bit of both? Um, and like, you know, do you see them like us being able to sustain salmon populations if we continue down this route?
1: Uh, I think in terms of, of behaviors, it's, it's a little bit of both. But when you when you raise salmon in captivity and they are looking up for a hand that feeds, that's very different than what they should be doing in the wild, which is not looking up but looking away from up because that could be where predators are coming from, and they would be finding their own food. We don't do that right. in naturals. We we uh, baby them basically. Yes. Right? And so when they leave, they're like, well, uh, now I have to learn to eat and I have to learn to escape predators. I have to learn all of these things that they didn't learn in captivity. And then furthermore, you know, ones that were not strong could still make it. In some cases, you know, in, in a shaduck, there might be 4,500 eggs, right? Of those mm-hmm. eggs, only two or three, sometimes four, are supposed to come back as adults. That's how it's supposed to work, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. So if we had, if we had all 4,500 coming back, we would be in a real dire situation because it would overpopulate the rivers. So they've always meant to kind of make a lot of babies and then only the strongest survive. But when you take away the crucible of natural selection by taking care of them in a hatchery, then of the 4,500 eggs that are, 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 are kind of squeezed from an adult, and put into there, 90% of them might live. But only 10% were supposed to live in the environment, in mm-hmm. the wild. And that basically was the way of saying, hey, only you with the strongest genetics can pass them on. And we're right. kind of, we're subverting that. As, mm-hmm. as Yvonne Chenard said in the film, you know, we're, we're devolving fish. We're taking away their genetic diversity, which is the core that gave them the opportunity to survive in such terrible conditions that we've gone through over the tens of thousands, if not millions of years that they've been around. And in the last 150 years, we've completely crushed that by putting in dams that cut off all of their opportunities to spawn in the headwaters of rivers and then uh, substituting that with propagation and saying that mm-hmm. we're going to now raise a stretch in a hatchery and that'll be fine. It's not working. And right. there's, there's fish there where some people would say, well, if we hadn't put a hatchery in, there'd be no fish. And mm-hmm. I'd say to that, you're not wrong. But if there were no fish after putting in a dam or when one was being proposed, that dam may not, never have been built. People right. would have said, there's no way you're going to kill our salmon runs for the be- benefit of you. And so yeah. we kind of, we placated people. And we masked the further decline of salmon by pretending that we were meeting the issue by raising them in fish factories and releasing them. And we have to get back to the core of the disease, which is habitat loss and overfishing in many cases, and then Mm -hmm. not just meet the symptom, which is lack of fish, because Mm -hmm. we're treating our symptoms, which is we want more fish, but we can choose whether or not to fish. We can choose whether or not to eat salmon. Orcas can't.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, yeah, that's definitely a really good point. Like, cause they, you know, a lot of people want to ask like, you know, cause with the bigs, the bigs can eat marine mammals. And a lot of people don't really understand that, you know, when an animal has evolved for millions of years, it can't just like switch over to something so easily. Um, and I, that is the unfortunate thing with having an animal that is like specialized to a certain environment. It's just, you know, it's obviously it's very sad to see the decline of this. Um, And a lot of people do, like, you know, suggest hatcheries or things like that. So, you know, I it seems like there's so many different hands in this project to try to save the whales and to try to protect the salmon. I feel like there's a huge lack of effort on the salmon's behalf, considering that it is, like, an endangered species. We see so many other animals well protected. Um But I just, you know, I'm not sure what the deal is with the dams not coming down because it seems as though if we look at it from every single perspective, like ecological, um, you know, economic, all these different perspectives, it makes sense. So why do you think or like, you know, do you have any reasoning behind maybe why these haven't come down yet?
1: Yeah, it's it's very clearly moneyed interests. I mean, there are there are there are interests both from the power that is made, although now that power is not really that exciting anymore because it's being made for a lot much a lot more than it's being sold for so it's actually losing money in the greater power Mm -hmm. production the bpa went through bonneville power administration went through 900 million dollars of surplus in 10 years because the power that they're selling is too expensive when compared to renewables like wind and solar and so Mm -hmm. when they renegotiate their power purchase agreements which are coming up in 2028 They're going to be Mm -hmm. renegotiating against uh, the destructive technologies like wind and solar that are going to drive down the cost of of power and therefore put something like these kind of New Deal era infrastructures at risk. And that's what's happening right now is that people are just trying to hang on as long as they can, because there's certain people that make their living on those rivers, using them the way they are now. But there were certain other people that made their livings on those rivers and they were destroyed when we flooded them and we didn't think much about them. And so now maybe we have to say, you know, we have to think about this differently, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's It seems to me like it's definitely a cultural issue. And I, you know, I agree with you, like, we're treating a lot of the symptoms of these bigger issues. But I think at the root of most environmental problems, and most just political problems in general, is that, you know, for some reason, in our culture, we just have this, we've normalized the ability to, like, or the inability to adapt or people not wanting to change or not wanting to progress. And, you know, we did it once before, like, we need to go back to the, you know, the times that we didn't use plastic, we had reusables, you know, there's like a bunch of other ways to do it, but you're completely right. You know, they lived that way before. There are still people there that remember like, you know, Oh my, you know, I would go to my grandma's house and, and there were no dams and it was beautiful and, you know, we can do it again. Absolutely. But it just, you know, it seems I'm not really sure what to do about these like big money interests, uh, like and all of that stuff that play into it. Um, so I don't know what to do about all that. What is do you have any like opinions on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, the first opinion is do exactly what you're doing, which is engage people. Tell them. Like, well, I make films to, to bring people into to issues that they may not have considered before. And I think that is a form of activism. Making a podcast mm-hmm. like this is a form of activism saying, what is happening? This isn't right. Like, I, I've, I've very clearly said multiple times, if this whole hatchery idea was working, then why are all the fish that were listed on the endangered species list, uh, like, 25 years ago, still on there? Yeah. Right? We, if it's... it was working, we'd all be laughing. The, the salmon would be, there'd be salmon in every river. There'd be, the whales would be happy. Everyone would be good. Yeah, if this absolutely. If this myth was working, right? But it's not. And so we're trying to hang on to this paradigm, which still isn't working, but we're going to keep hanging on just because we've told ourselves so. And we have to say, you know, when you look at the dire strait of something like the Southern Resident Killer Whale, you have to say, how far are we going to go to really address this? Or are we going to extinct them? And are we going to extinct salmon at the same time?
0: Right. And that I just it doesn't make sense to me why we have so many resources and so many people that are like so focused on the residents um, but also so many other different kinds of animals and we can't seem to recover them. But then, that, you know, that stems back to this inability to adapt to things or like unwillingness at least. And I don't, you know, I don't think it's an inability, I guess that's probably the wrong word to use, but it's just an, like, people just don't want to, and we have to figure out how to change that and like, you know, prioritize certain things. But I think that this idea of, you know, like, money obviously always gets in the way and makes things a little bit more difficult, but we're living a very manufactured lifestyle. And I think we just need to, like, find a way to shift our culture. And, you know, you're right, through films and different conversations, we can do that. But I think we just lack in our culture also, you know, the motivation to think critically and look at different issues. And, you know, so I'm just kind of, you know, I was inspired by the trailer that you have i haven't seen the film yet but you know it looks as though like that was kind of your goal as well as to get people to see something a little bit different
1: that's, that's it so the film comes out at the end of october this month mm-hmm. and it will be available on amazon prime itunes and youtube so you can watch it where you normally watch film and hopefully it creates a discussion with people because it does deal with the southern southern resident killer whale and it does mm-hmm. deal with both salmon and trout populations, and it does deal with these kind of overarching issues that are at the root of what we're seeing, but they're not mm-hmm. being dealt with. So hopefully, if enough people see it and there's enough conversation, we can engage a whole group of people that have never been in this conversation before.
0: Yeah. And hopefully that,
1: that will help make large-scale pressure on both decision makers and policymakers to say, how must, not how will, but how must we meet this challenge?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, that absolutely needs to happen. I think, you know, there's a lot more activism and things like that going on. And I think, you know, people like Greta Thornburg and whatnot are starting different conversations with people. It's like, you know, the environment and climate change is a hot topic right now. And this is just something that contributes. But I think, you know, there's such, um, there's, not a ton of access for just like, you know, people who aren't super interested in the environment to um find different resources. I mean, there are things out there, but they have to be motivated to do it. And I think, you know, having, you know, different conversations or challenging conversations can kind of involve or intrigue people into that process. Um, But yeah, I'm just kind of, you know, I'd like to find more alternative ways to get more people involved, because I think we've gone down this route of like, Hey, you know we're passionate about these animals, and like things are dying. So I don't know how to, you know, maybe start a new conversation to get more people to think and get more people involved. Um, yeah, but, it, yeah I mean, I that's, that's that's just the, my two cents.
1: Well, I mean, the the people have to care about something before they want to get involved. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. when you when you see our our distracted society these days, that we're we're all staring at screens, and and sometimes instead of of looking around us and, and, and respecting kind of the beauty inherent around us. We we sometimes forget that all of that beauty will go away unless we say, Hey, it's important. Don't let it go. Yeah. And that's, Absolutely. that's what we have to remember.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think if people honestly, like just take a few moments, like to just like look around where they are and just like notice like birds or plants or things like that. Like literally it just takes like, 30 seconds of awareness. I think that you can develop that sort of appreciation and, you know, not only is this like, you know, not only do we need the environment to survive, but I think it's just like really nourishing to the human soul to spend time in nature and to develop that appreciation. But we've somehow gotten so disconnected and we need to get back on track and finding a way to get people to connect to the environment and to care and not only just see it as, you know, a resource or something that we need to survive, but, you know, See the passion and energy that comes from it if that makes sense.
1: It does. And then hopefully you take that action and passion I should say really and and do mm-hmm. something because you know in this case with 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 water issues with salmon issues which of course are what's impacting the southern resident killer whale, you can mm-hmm. do something right in your backyard. You can mm-hmm. help out groups that are working on water quality, river restorations, habitat improvements fishery work that you can volunteer you can find somebody Mm -hmm. by just reaching out and touching your local water and saying this river is important to me how can i help it it's Mm -hmm. that immediate
0: right yeah absolutely and there's like there's so many different organizations throughout the state of washington i went to school in florida and like have lived on the east coast and stuff and it just seems like there's you know a lot more resources out here so that's one of the things that's you know really cool is it seems that Washington state is like pretty passionate about that. Um, but yeah, there's a ton of different organizations to get involved with. And I, it looks like on the website that you have, like with Patagonia, you guys have like a list of, you know, different facts or ways to get involved and be informed. So I'll be sure to share that to my website and social media and things like that. Um, yeah, definitely. The the wild,
1: the wild fish conservancy is a really great one there. The native fish society has a number hmm. of river keepers that, that are, and of specifically watching out for certain rivers, both in Oregon and Washington and, and in other states as well. And I think those are the those are the two kind of go to's that I know in 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 your region. Uh, mm-hmm. But there, there's other groups as well. And I think mm-hmm. you just have to look at what they're doing and say, do I believe in the type of work they're doing? And if so, help them out. Go one weekend a month, yeah. you know, or one weekend, Absolutely. Uh, you know, two weekends a year. And mm-hmm. if we had 10 people do that, that's like a huge growth in the number of people trying to, to help out. And if we had two more and two more and two more, well, you know, we'll the sky's the limit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then just, you know, builds on from there and snowballs. Um, was there anything that you found particularly surprising when making this documentary?
1: Yeah, I think the thing that most surprised me was just the belief that we had created that we could outdo nature Mm -hmm. that when when you look at what we've done in every other animal that for example the fish and wildlife agencies manage not one of them is done like this we do not Mm -hmm. stock deer and elk we don't raise and release them we don't have hatcheries for ducks and geese we give them Mm -hmm. refuges We, we we engineer humans out of the equation to allow nature to do its work. But mm-hmm. in the case of, and that's certainly the case with, with, with whales too. We're trying to get humans yeah. back away from them. But in salmon, instead of doing that, we're doing the opposite, right? Where we're like, no, we got to get right in there and we got to all yank out their eggs and yank out their sperm and combine them by hand and raise them into captivity and put them in trucks and drive them to places and put them in the water and put them in airplanes and fly them into the lakes and hide, you know, you know, upper watersheds and rivers. It's like the opposite of letting nature do its work. Right. And I think that's what was surprising to me was why have we lost faith in nature's ability to make what was wild, wild again?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, it's crazy to think that somebody like came up with that idea. Like, yes, I'm going to, you know, take these fish and we're going to tear it apart that much. I mean, yeah, nature has always kind of, it's always taken care of itself, you know? And if you let it run its course and you, you know, don't idle with it too much, the, you know, the things that are meant to survive will survive. Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a really interesting point. Yeah. Um, I mean, the best, the,
1: the best hatchery is a healthy river. If we can take care mm-hmm. of rivers and limit our harvest, which is a big one for people, and they don't like to hear that. They don't want to hear, mm-hmm. Oh, don't tell me I can't catch fish. Um, yeah, nature can come back, but when we continue to over harvest in some cases and certainly overdevelop habitat and Mm -hmm. not give fish the opportunity to rebuild then Mm -hmm. of course they're always going to be on the edge of extinction and that's where we're pushing right up to that now and we're we're watching populations just blink out and that is that is like shameful really
0: it is absolutely and the fact that we like there are so many resources and efforts and like you said we just keep trying the same thing and like if that's literally the definition of insanity is like doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And like, it is absolutely ludicrous that, you know, our politicians or different communities feel that, you know, we're, we're just going to keep trying the same thing because that's the original idea. Like, you know, we we should be embarrassed that, you know, we're like, we're supposed to be the smart species, right? Like the most (laughs) evolved, like why are we not evolving to like adapt our practices and, you know, try something different. Like, what's the right. worst that can happen? We, we mess up. Okay, well, then we try again. Like, go back to the chalkboard until we figure something out. It's, you know, it's not that, like, difficult.
1: That's it. But homo sapiens, the wise one, <laughs> that is what we yes. are. We're supposed to be that. But I, yeah. you know, Carl Safino, one of the characters in our film, said, I, I think we're really just clever. And we're, 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 we've come up with, with what we think are clever fixes. But if we were really mm-hmm. wise we'd recognize the much larger impacts we're having and address those and not try to engineer our way out of something. Like we can engineer fixes to things we broke in terms Mm -hmm. of like restoration of rivers, but you know, with all of the technology we have, we still cannot build a
0: flower. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's interesting because I think we, you know, we just are trying to yeah engineer our way out of symptoms instead of actually looking at the root and, You know, one of the questions that I've asked myself throughout the course of this project is like, what makes humans different from other animals? And honestly, I think it's just ego and our ability to destroy ourselves, you know, Um, (laughs) because some would
1: would say it's all story. Because when you really look at it and and Carl Safina, who's a spectacular writer, good friend of mine, and he says in our film, you know, you could say that all of the, 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 the things we learn, we learn from the stories were passed down. But you can mm-hmm. also say that then all the problems in the world are symptoms of stories that we got wrong, stories that we misunderstood deeply. And mm-hmm. really, when you think about it, that is it. Like humans have created a story. We created mm-hmm. a story that we have used, for example, in the Bible. And we've said the Bible tells us that we should have dominion over all the animals and plants. But that dominion has led to the uh, you know extinction of those things. That's not we're not being stewards of that. That's a story we told ourselves.
0: There's stories in
1: government. There's stories in law. Law is a series of stories that we ensconce into our societies to say what is right and wrong. That's a story. And so Mm -hmm. until we rewrite those stories to say, for example, the loss of of salmon or the extinction of southern resident killer whales is abhorrent, then we won't follow our stories. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to rewrite the stories and say, what is important? If it's only growth and it's only feeding the world, then this earth has a very tenuous future. Because we could have a giant economy and feed 9 billion, 12 billion, 20 billion people. But at some point, the earth will not be able to support that and the entire thing will collapse. And so only when we rewrite that story, do we have a chance at not only the human race surviving, but the rest of these beautiful amazing animals and and beings that we share the planet with
0: yeah absolutely you know we don't want to take them down with us um but absolutely we need to like just look at things as mistakes and be okay with that um and learn from them and figure out how we're going to grow and adapt because plenty of other species have to adapt and so we just need to start doing that as well um it, or else we're just going to continue to destroy things. And, you know, I mean, I guess survival of the fittest, if we can't figure it out, if we're not smart enough to make the choices to save ourselves, then maybe we deserve to like not live on the planet anymore and let, you know, whatever kind of repopulation happen that needs to happen. But yeah, we've definitely like, I, we're at a point where we have to make a choice now. Like we can't continue to waste time because there, there's no more time. We're, we're on borrowed time right now.
1: Correct. Correct. And yeah. we're seeing the impacts of that. I mean, that's, of course, what Greta's bringing up in climate change. But the same can be said with, with species diversity. I mean, as we lose these, these, these amazing animals that have been benefits to, you know, not only to humans, but to the rest of the ecosystems, we're beginning to imperil our future. And as we watch these extreme weather events being fueled by shifting climate and climate change, the 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 beings that are left here without diversity are more and more disabled uh, when it comes to adapting to those new challenges that we're putting upon them. So, you know, diversity will be the savior not only for for us but for for the other species of the world.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um. So I know you talked about like on the individual level, like what people here locally can do. Um, but what about you know those people that are in the Midwest or somewhere where maybe they're not around salmon or they're landlocked or something like that. What can, what would you recommend to those people who want to get more involved or who have a passion for this sort of thing?
1: Well, I mean, bass are now the most stocked fish in the country. We're, we're, Mm -hmm. we're taking Florida bass because they grow bigger in Florida and we're stocking them all throughout the United States. And we're, we're killing off local populations because Again, people want fish to catch. And so they'll do it at whatever level they can. And we're doing this with all sorts of species of aquatic animals. And I Mm -hmm. think that's something we need to kind of reconsider and say, Mm -hmm. again, why are we doing it? Why aren't we protecting and celebrating those local species that have such beauty? It's not just about bigger, faster, better. It's about the beauty of local native populations and how unique they are. And that's what we should be celebrating, not only for salmon and certainly not mm-hmm. only for our aquatic animals, but that's kind of the focus of the film. And I think yeah. that can, that's applicable anywhere there's water.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you know, everybody's near some body of water at some point. So yeah, absolutely. We need to reconnect and like see the different cultural aspects of, of animals. Um, was there anything from this that you like learned um maybe that you didn't expect to? I know you said like it was you didn't expect to see um like you know how genetically modified things were, um, but like I don't know what is, are your hopes for the future, or do you see hope for the future?
1: Well yeah, I think the thing that learned that I learned that was so eye- opening was just the scale of industrialization we've imparted on this wild thing. You know, mm-hmm. salmon, salmon we think of as wild. And when we realize that there may not be that many wild salmon left because we have manipulated them so much that is distressing. And mm-hmm. the scale of it is unprecedented. You know, just in the Columbia Basin alone, over four billion dollars have been spent since 1982 in raising and releasing fish Four billion dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a ton of money that could have been yeah. used in restoration. And I think literally, we, yeah. When we, when we step back from that and we consider how we can approach a sustainable future, not for the next 50 years, but for the next 500 years, I think we're going to see the error in our ways. And I think yeah. that's what, that's what I learned in making the film. It just reaffirmed in me the fact that humans need to recognize where humans do good work and where nature does better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, they're like nature has figured itself out. It has, you know, established itself and gotten to where it is over the course of years and adapted. And we just need to learn to like, you know, take our hands off of it. But I feel like humans just have such a need to control things. And, you know, I guess maybe that is a survival tactic. But, you know, I feel like we've there's there's enough resources to go around. You know, there's enough people can there's enough food and housing and whatnot for everyone's basic needs to be met. We need to figure out how to better distribute that. But also, like, you know, we we don't need to to continue to destroy. We need to figure out how to integrate that like into our life like in our survival and get reconnected to nature. I think, you know, maybe helping people develop an appreciation for nature, you know, that could help them as well. But there are so many people that I know or people that, you know, I even went to school with who didn't major in environmental like focuses and they like, you know, they're like, ew, bugs are gross or dirt is gross. And I think, that's just like not a very healthy attitude. We have to find a way to get people to connect to it. I think that could help solve our problems as well.
1: I, I absolutely agree. I mean, we, we have to look at the beauty that surrounds us. I mean, mm-hmm. those people that are confined to places without nature, there's actually a nature deficit disorder that some people have, have uh, kind of coined that term. And recognize what it is for children to be away from nature. And Mm -hmm. we are part of nature until we separate ourselves. And all too often, that's what's happened. And Mm -hmm. through the industrialization of the world, we're having humans farther and farther uh, distance from nature. And that has huge implications because all of the things that we make in the world still come from nature. I mean, even the terrible chemicals we make have a natural derivative at some level. Right. There's no, you know, the, the classic, uh, theory of, of, of matter, which is, there's no, no matter is, is, is destroyed. It's only changes its state, right? It only mm-hmm. changes and, and energy is not neither created nor destroyed. It only changes. And so mm-hmm. all of the things that we use every day come from nature, but when yeah. we use them to the point that it turns around and destroys the living nature, uh, through its, 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 uh creation then then that's a bigger problem and that's something that we're we're looking at we're looking at that you know again in the headwaters of like bristol bay which is certainly not you know unique but this here's it just happens to be the world's largest fishery for wild sockeye salmon and they want to extract uh gold and copper from what's called the petal mine and they're mm-hmm. saying you know well there's money to be made sure there's money to be made but there's also money to be lost but because mm-hmm. if, if something happens with that mine and it wipes out the last biggest run of salmon, that's gone forever. I guess yeah. what? gold and copper, you'll get what you need out of it. And then you'll leave that alone and you'll walk away from that mine and you'll never revisit it again. And yeah, do absolutely. we want a future that has gold and copper, which is really, you know, has only certain specific uh, purposes, or do we want the future that has the beauty of the last yeah. remaining run and the, the value the last remaining run of wild sockeye Yeah, That's something humans have to reckon with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, reassigning and maybe just like reevaluating where your values lie Um, and maybe questioning why you have those values and what came from that in the first place. Um, And yep. reassessing where, you know, like really what matters at the end of the day. Cause I think so many people care way too much about money and that like gets in the way of so many things. And, you know, causes so many issues. and just feeds into this problem of having like an ego and whatnot. And yes, money is important and we do need it just because that's how our world functions. Um, But I, you know, that's not the only thing that's valuable. And I think at the end of the day, sometimes people forget that, you know, our environment is valuable and we have to take care of it. It's not all about us, you know, there's so many other species and these are lives, whether you you know, believe it or not, or you have like some sort of spiritual whatever, like these like are other beings and they deserve to be on this planet just as much as we do. That's so
1: correct. Yep. You know,
0: we just yeah, gotta... As I say,
1: wild matters.
0: hmm Yes. Um so I saw like the little slogan on um the website that you guys have for this film. It says the road to extinction is paved with good intentions. Can you elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Yep. And then I probably have to go after that because I have another okay. call yeah. coming through after that. But the, the, the idea of, of, of that kind of log line, as we call it for a film, is to call out the fact that this paradigm that we have embraced was one that we thought was helping. And that makes it especially mm-hmm. hard to change because people still believe in the idea of helping nature by trying to replicate it. For example, when you're raising fish in, in domestication and releasing, and people think, hey, mm-hmm. I'm doing the right thing. But that was, again, the story we told each other without knowing whether or not it worked. We had no scientific basis of it. We just, just believed in it. And so mm-hmm. when, we, when we continue to do something that has inherently been shown to be a problem, but we do it because we still believe in the the original story, then those things that we think are helping are actually leading to the destruction of the thing we're helping. And I think that's Mm -hmm. something that we have to remember. And that's why we Mm -hmm. use that term. The the road to extinction is paved with good intentions because in Mm -hmm. following this issue, we realized that people originally thought they were helping and then only later realized they might not be, but they just are resistant to change enlightening that new information and we have to now we have to use science as our guide we have to say what do the facts tell us not just our belief Mm -hmm. systems and then make decisions around those
0: awesome well thank you for your input and also you know thanks for taking the time to um participate in this um i'm really looking forward to watching your film when it comes out um but yeah thank you so much
1: thank you for having me it was really a pleasure
0: Awesome. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Okay. Sounds great.
0: All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us and check out Artificial available on Amazon, iTunes, and YouTube later this month. I'm excited to expand this project and we'll be releasing shorter 10 to 15 minute episodes called Porpisodes on Mondays answering listener questions and discussing a variety of topics. The first Porpisode will be available this Monday. If you have any questions or topics that you would like to learn more about, please reach out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or visit our website at www.breachingextinction.com We can also be reached at breaching extinction at gmail. Thanks and have a great day.